0: Okay, fellas. Showtime. Let's bring it in. It's showtime, right? It's showtime. Let's kick some ass. Hello, and welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. As always, I am your host, Show. Thank you for listening. As always, thank you for leaving comments and subscribing and liking and whatnot, all the stuff, good stuff you do with podcasts. But uh, more than anything else, thank you for engaging with me. Thank you for sending in questions. Thank you for tweeting, all that stuff. I I think more than anything, engaging with you guys on movies, whether it's in person or whether it's uh, over social media or what have you, is always... Easily, my my most favorite part of doing the podcast. So, thank you so much for doing that. I have a sneaking suspicion that over the next, uh, let's say, couple of months, because I don't think it'll be any sooner than that, but that over the next couple of months, that we will be talking more about movies in the uh, general world than before. Not necessarily new movies, but perhaps movies that you've been meaning to watch movies that have been on your backlog perhaps the people who only go to see 2 to 3 movies a year will now be catching up on those i speak of course and it's hard not to address it the covid-19 pandemic that is all around the world we know the effects in china we know the effects in italy and of course i am broadcasting and recording from toronto and canada but and i'm sure many of the listeners are from here but at the same at the same time you know it's just we're at the point now where it's it's impossible to ignore the story. It's impossible to ignore it. Everyone has to be cognizant of it and be safe. So I just want to, before we get into any movies, just stay safe out there. You know, be smart. Disinfect things. Engage in social distancing for now. You know, just things you wash your hands right don't touch your face all those things please please do all that stuff and i think not only will you be better for it but i think everyone else around you will be better for it i mean maybe you're healthy and you're young and it won't really concern you i mean if i were to catch it it probably wouldn't really harm me that much but maybe it harms my parents maybe it harms my my older relatives right i'm sure it's the same for everyone else so You know, just keep that in mind, I suppose. But I feel like because everyone is going to be engaging in social distancing and maybe if you've caught it or you're not sure if you've been exposed, you want to self-quarantine, self-isolate for 14 days, I'm sure TV shows and movies are going to be at the top of people's list, especially now that sports are not you know, around anymore. Sports have been canceled for the foreseeable future. Uh, So without sports for a lot of people, they will be turning back to TV and movies. And of course here on the Showtime movie podcast, that's what we're all about. We're about talking movies. And uh, I guess I should mention at this point that going forward, I think until things get a little more under control, which may not be until later this summer, I'm not going to be reviewing movies that have been in theaters so pixar's onward you know uh mulan that got postponed fast and the furious nine that got postponed the next james bond movie no time to die that got postponed and i'm sure as the summer goes on and this situation has not yet necessarily been contained i'm sure other movies will be postponed as well crazy to think that james bond was postponed until november and fast nine was postponed until april of 2021 That's when that movie got postponed to. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of other movies will be uh, in the same boat, let's say. Uh, And so that's the case. Then, of course, we can't really talk about movies if they've been getting postponed. But luckily for us, we don't have to just talk about movies that are in the theaters. We can talk about other kinds of movies. I really want to revisit some older movies as well. So we might do that. Maybe we might tackle some new releases that are on Netflix as well. Uh, Some of the other streaming services. Maybe we do some retrospectives at some best picture winners. I think that'll be a lot of fun. We talked about Parasite, of course. You heard that uh, podcast episode here on the Showtime Movie Podcast with Rob Wong. I want to say well before the Oscars, but at the same time, like there's, any, there's no limit to what we can do with movies because the industry is so large and there's so many movies for us to dig- digest and just enjoy, right? But on today's episode, we will actually get to some films that I had not unfortunately gotten to. So Luckily for us, we can talk about them now. We're going to get to The Gentlemen, Birds of Prey, Bad Boys for Life, Bad Boys 3, of course, and finally, Sonic the Hedgehog, because those are the last four major releases that have hit theaters. We'll spend less time on The Gentlemen, I think, just because that movie came out a little while ago now, I think in January or maybe the end of January, beginning of February. But because of that, we won't spend too much time on it, but it'll be fun to kind of rehash the movie for a little bit. So why don't we get started with our movie reviews for this episode and then at the end of the episode we can talk about what we want to see going forward so to start Guy Ritchie's latest foray into the movie world The Gentleman Prior to The Gentleman, which is a violent, mobster, drug-based movie, okay, the prior movie to this that Guy, Guy Ritchie had made was Aladdin. Isn't that pretty wild? I mean, a Disney movie, pretty sanitized, Will Smith, you know, everything about it wasn't that shocking. Nothing was really that different. They added a couple of things for Jasmine here and there. No real crazy things that really necessarily, when you look at it, you say, that's a Guy Ritchie flick, right? Like you, like you would have for Snatch or Lock, Sock and Two Smoking Barrels, or even The Man from Uncle, right? Like a lot of those movies have, I think, "quote unquote" signature Guy Ritchie moments, and that and Aladdin didn't really. And maybe it's because of that that with the gentleman, Guy Ritchie went back to. You know his calling cards like slow mo and kind of funny storytelling devices. Like I mentioned, like for example, The Gentleman, which I mentioned, is about drugs. It's about a a man who is trying to get out of the drug business, a, a very successful drug kingpin, baron, what have you. And he essentially is trying to get out of the drug business by selling it to someone else and kind of moving on with his life. And as you might imagine, in the drug business, an illegal business, there are snafus that go along with that, right? So that's what the movie is about. But The interesting thing about The Gentleman to me is how it is told. Now, Hugh Grant, who is one of the main characters uh, in this movie, one of the main actors in this movie, it's a very, uh, very star-studded cast. Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, Henry Golding, Michelle Dockery, Jeremy Strong, Colin Farrell, and like I mentioned, Hugh Grant. Lots of really, really famous people, which is really cool. But Grant's character, whose name is Fletcher, he's a private investigator. And the movie kind of starts with Fletcher going to Charlie Hunnam's character, Raymond, and essentially tells him a story. And you might have heard that line from the trailer. Play a game with me, Raymond. I hope that was a, a, a <laughs> an okay impression. But that's, that's the kind of, he's the kind of sleazy, disgusting, paparazzi-esque type of private investigator. And Hugh Grant, I think, does a fantastic job. I, I almost feel like with Hugh Grant, very similar to uh brad pitt and let's say even john Hamm, who's i guess more of a tv actor than you know he's in movies but i feel like he's more famous for being in mad men and stuff but at the same time these are two really attractive guys objectively who are excellent actors but who seem to be more at home in those supporting actor roles right and of course Uh, hindsight is 2020 because of course, Brad Pitt just won an Oscar for in a, being in a supporting role. Uh, but at the same time, I think that's something that has been a very popular sentiment around Hollywood, at least for when it comes to Brad Pitt, that he is, you know, a, a leading man stuck or pardon me, a supporting man stuck in a leading man's body. Right. And I think the same probably goes for John Hamm. and, And I feel like the same goes for Hugh Grant. It's just, he's been around very long for a very long time. He's always in those kind of romantic comedy movies, or maybe just even straight up romance movies and he's kind of like the self-deprecating kind of aw shucks kind of guy and recently we've seen him get away from that a little bit like i don't know if you guys remember paddington 2 crazy to say probably one of the best movies if not if not the best movie that came out that particular year but he was the villain in that movie and i dare say that he should have been nominated for an oscar kind of in the same vein as uh robert danny jr got nominated for tropic thunder or even Uh, Johnny Depp got nominated for Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean. I feel like Hugh Grant deserved to get nominated for his role, his turn as the bad guy in Paddington 2. The character escapes me, but it was a very kind of deliciously evil but silly role. And in that same vein... The Fletcher character from The Gentleman is, is so fascinating to me because he's, a, like I said, sleazy journalist, paparazzi guy. You know, he, he relishes in telling this story. And that is how The Gentleman proceeds. The entire movie, for, for the most part, I would say maybe like 90% of the movie or like let's say 85% of the movie is, is a story being told from Hugh Grant to Charlie Hunnam. And then when he wraps up, he leaves. And then the movie kind of starts, not starts, but it, 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 it goes to the present. And then we go from there. So I find that really interesting, and that's probably the best part about The Gentleman, because for the most part, I would say it's a fine movie. It's fine. All the actors are fine. Matthew McConaughey as drug kingpin Mickey Pearson, he is fine, right? Charlie Hunnam, I mean... It's funny to say, because I really like Charlie Hunnam, and you guys may remember him not just from that King Arthur movie that Guy Ritchie, of course, did, or even from Pacific Rim. He was one of the main characters in Pacific Rim, if you guys remember that, the Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro movie. But uh, I think he really became famous for playing the main character on Sons of Anarchy, the TV show. And I don't, really, didn't really watch a lot of Sons of Anarchy. I only watched the first season, then I kind of lost interest. But at the same time, very fascinating actor. But he also just... He doesn't emote that much. You know, he kind of reminds me of Keanu Reeves in that sense. And of course, Keanu Reeves has become more beloved in recent memory, but he just doesn't really, you know, emote. He's kind of very stoic. And it worked for him in King Arthur, it worked for him in Pacific Rim, and it, it kind of works for him in, in The Gentleman. But at the same time, you're not really getting a lot out of that performance because he's kind of the straight man. I would say he is the only quote unquote straight man to everybody else in this movie. Like Mickey Pearson, pretty kind of raucous and temperamental character by Matthew McConaughey. Henry Golding, who plays Dry Eye, who is this kind of other gangster who wants to steal the the drug business away from Mickey. You know, he's pretty temperamental as well. Michelle Dockery, who plays uh, Mickey's wife, Rosalind, she also kind of this kind of, I don't know sassy kind of character cold ice at the same time and then you got uh, Jeremy Strong and Colin Farrell Now you guys might remember Jeremy Strong actually. similarly with Michelle Dockery both of them more known I would say for TV roles Dockery from uh, Downton Abbey of course I almost said Pearson Abbey that's the name of her character (laughs) Downton Abbey and Jeremy Strong of course known for being uh, one of the main characters on Succession HBO's Succession which is a fantastic television show if you haven't watched it but yeah I just feel like Outside of Hugh Grant's performance as Fletcher, none of them really stand out. I would say the only one who comes close, and I haven't mentioned him yet, is Colin Farrell. Now, Colin Farrell plays... I don't know if they ever actually say his name other than just coach, but he is a coach of some local uh, hooligans turned, I guess, boxers or something like that, and he is pretty funny, a very dry humor. Again, another actor who I think shines in being away from the spotlight. Like You guys remember that In Bruges movie, and he was one of the main characters, but it was kind of a more quirky role. And I feel like Colin Farrell has always excelled in those roles. And it was really cool to see him kind of out of the spotlight, do the most and chew the scenery a little bit in this. And and Hugh Grant is the same way as well. And and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that McConaughey and Hunnam and Golding Dockery Strong, I'm not saying they were bad, but I think that... Because Hugh Grant and Colin Farrell were given a little less screen time, they got to do a bit more, which is which is kind of fun to say. At the same time, The Gentleman is one of those movies that, you know, I saw it by myself on on Tuesday during the day because I was working in that later that evening. It's a fine movie, but it's one of those ones that you probably could wait to see. It's probably not one of Guy Ritchie's better movies. Like I was mentioning some of them earlier. Like there's you look at the older ones like snatch which amazingly came out in 2000 i was just looking at the dates here I, I can't believe that movie came out in 2000 but that that movie is is fantastic and it has some really distinctive elements that i think the gentleman doesn't and i know it's unfair because snatch is so widely loved but i mean even even looking at the sherlock holmes movies or the man from uncle which i think is widely widely underrated but the gentleman is just like a rehash a light less intense rehash of the best versions of Guy Ritchie movies. And it's for that reason that if you were asking me, should I or should I not watch The Gentleman, I would probably lean more on the side of don't watch, just because it was it was fine, like I mentioned, it wasn't amazing. And because so many people ration their time when it comes to movies, this is the kind of one you could just wait for Netflix and watch on a rainy day. Now I started the podcast by saying people might watch more TVs and movies. So if the narrative device that I mentioned with Hugh Grant, if that appeals to you, if the slow-mo and kind of slick cuts, if that appeals to you, great music, the English setting with English accents for some characters, if that appeals to you, then you will like The Gentleman. But if you're expecting a modern-day snatch you will be disappointed because that is not what The Gentleman is, but if you adjust your expectations accordingly, you will probably find it, like I did, just fine. When I review movies on the Showtime Movie Podcast with you guys, and we were talking about these various films, I feel like I often, whether I do it consciously or unconsciously, I definitely have done it on purpose a number of times. I didn't actually realize I was doing this until literally right now, but I often like to start with the movies I liked the least, right? Of the batch of movies we're doing in that particular episode. And The Gentleman of the movies we're talking about today is definitely the movie I liked the least. Not because it was bad. It was like I mentioned a million times in the actual review segment. It was fine. It was just fine. And it's crazy to say that of the remaining movies, the movies I liked next the best, I would say, is Birds of Prey and it's an interesting film because it is largely very positive it is a i would say far better than just fine movie it is very good it's just i think compared to the last two movies on the list i don't sure i cared for it as much but well let's get into that next uh, margot robbie's next film latest film in the dc universe because i'm sure there'll be many more birds of prey danger, danger. first person to admit that when i saw the trailer for birds of prey and i rewatched it recently kind of in anticipation of this very episode so i was kind of just doing some not research but just revisiting the trailer because i hadn't seen it since before the movie and like i said i'd be the first to admit that after i saw it i thought it would be terrible i thought this movie would be god-awful i thought it would be just like suicide squad that it would have no personality or no, no real appeal other than the main characters. And it just looked like it was going to be zany for the sake of being zany, which I wasn't sure. I almost feel like with DC in general, you want to be different from Marvel right you don't want to just do the same thing that marvel is doing and i felt that was a huge pitfall of suicide squad because they saw the success of movies like guardians of the galaxy and they tried to essentially copy that by having a bunch of misfit characters come together and then go on some adventure and instead of it being as successful and heartfelt as guardians of the galaxy it was complete and utter crap right like probably one of the worst superhero movies ever made and you know what yeah don't come at me with it won an oscar won want a makeup make and hairstyling yeah i get it yes oscar winning suicide squad is a bad movie um but at the same time as much as suicide squad sucks birds of prey is amazing that movie is fantastic it really truly is and like there are some faults i find with it some but not very many and really the faults i feel like i'm gonna bring up with it are essentially just me nitpicking essentially and i think that's probably the hallmark of something being pretty decent when you have to really magnify and use the glass the looking glass and really peer into all the nooks and crannies because on the surface it seems to be pretty great and i think if you look deep down it it is it remains that way right now directed by kathy Yan, margot robbie of course is the stars harley quinn and Let me just say that Margot Robbie was born to play Harley Quinn. All right. That's my takeaway from this movie. She was really good in Suicide Squad. But we're at the point now where I'm looking at her and I I can't really imagine somebody else playing that role. And I know you might say, oh, comics accurate or whatever. Like when people have that complaint about Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine or, you know, Peter Dinklage playing Tyrion Lannister or whatever, right? Like, you're always going to get some complaints. Don't get me wrong. It happens and it'll always be the case. But I think for many people, myself included, Hugh Jackman is synonymous with Wolverine. Patrick Stewart is synonymous with Professor X. Ian McKellen, to an extent, is synonymous with... Magneto. Uh, I I only paused there because I was going to say, yeah. What about uh, Michael Fassbender? Who you know what at this point is rivals the Magneto uh, icon for me when it comes to specific actors. But Margot Robbie is up there for me. Margot Robbie is up there when it comes to actors who embody the roles they play. She looks the part. She sounds the part. It's just Harley Quinn as a character to me is funny and attractive but also extremely dangerous and capable and of course that character is defined by her relationship to the joker because a big part of harley quinn's character is that she is the joker's girlfriend and kind of significant henchman right and we know the story she was a psychiatrist who i guess was seduced by the joker or whatever and she fell for him and that led to uh, harleen quinzel psychiatrist going to become harley quinn the uh, supervillain that we all know and love. And whereas in Suicide Squad, she was very much defined by this relationship she was in. Birds of Prey starts by kind of, I mean, as the movie actually is called in the fantabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn, <laughs> right? So she is emancipated from this relationship she had with the Joker. And mercifully, the Joker is not on screen at all. No Joker, you hear the, you hear mentions of the Joker pretty much at every turn, when it, at least at the beginning of the movie. But for the most part, it's inconsequential right he's not in the movie for even one second which is probably for the best because Jared Leto was was given the boot from DC after all the shenanigans he pulled and all the demands he pulled and he wants to make his own movie and blah 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 he complained and he and he, and he really kind of just crapped on Suicide Squad and all this stuff right that's not going to win you many many friends in the industry of course as you might imagine or or any industry right when you could just crap all over the people who helped you make a movie no matter what you think of Jared Leto himself as uh, performance wise, as the Joker, of course, but they couldn't really bring him back after all that. And I guess, I'm not sure they really wanted to associate the Joker with, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Oscar winning performance, although it would have been a kind of a funny meta joke, I guess, but even that they, they didn't even bother. Right. So mercifully no Joker in birds of prey, but it's very cool because the movie kind of starts with Harley blowing up ACE chemicals, which is of course where she becomes Harley and, when she does that, she essentially announces to the entirety of Gotham City that she and the Joker are, are done. They're on the outs. They called it quits. And because of that, because of all the people that Harley has wronged and done, said mean things to and what and whatnot over the course of her life, who and she's been protected by the Joker, now she's basically announced to Gotham that it's open season on Harley Quinn. And that's kind of the plot of the movie. Everyone comes to get Harley Quinn, all the people she's wronged, including black mask who is played of course by ewan mcgregor and victor zaz who is uh ewan mcgregor's henchman uh played by chris messina and uh the two of them i think are are pretty great i think they're apart from margot robbie because i can't say enough positive things about her enough superlatives let's say great word i just want to just want to sneak that in there really superlatives fantastic word <laughs> uh but apart from her Ewan McGregor clearly looks like he's having a blast. He just looks like he's really enjoying himself. He's absolutely fantastic in the role as black mask, even though he only really wears the actual black mask for like, a couple of minutes it seems like ten minutes, maybe even less than that, but lots of really funny jokes he 's clearly he 's very uh, delicate as a villain he 's very particular let 's say which I can appreciate as a particular person uh, but it's it 's just really fun to see him kind of chew the scenery uh, with and without victor zaz and uh, i I almost feel like it was implied in the movie that they were kind of a thing like they were together they don 't actually outright say it, but I feel like it 's implied that they were. A couple at some point, or at the very least, were together at certain points. Like it's very, their relationship is really interesting because it's very much a boss and a henchman, but also kind of that of brothers at sometimes, and then also that of lovers at sometimes. Very tender at moments, which I find very fascinating. And it makes it makes for some fun subtext in some scenes. Like if you think that, and then you go like if you were to rewatch it now, thinking that, I feel like the subtext is pretty great. uh The movie is very violent. Don't get me wrong. If that's something that's not your cup of tea, maybe this might might turn you off it a little bit but still i I think those three guys are absolutely fantastic and the other birds of prey themselves they're fine too they're fine i don't know how much i loved them in the end they have some great individual lines and great individual scenes which i think allow essentially more than anything else not just each other to shine but they allow i think margot robbie to shine even more because everything harley does plays off of every other character whether it's black mask or zaz or the other birds of prey right and, yeah, I think it's a very empowering movie, very much about uh, f- these females, these three women finding themselves and finding out what they're good at and relying on each other and, and defeating, defeating the bad guys, essentially, right? Defeating Black Mask in the end, as obviously they do. It's a superhero movie. I would say the only downside is that, the, again, I, I, I talked about the narrative when it came to The Gentleman, right? We talked about the narrative and I just feel like with Birds of Prey, there's a lot of events that take place, and then Margot Robbie, of course, Harley Quinn will, will kind of her voice will come over the top of the action going on as she herself is walking down the street, and you'll and and you'll hear, oh, you, you're wondering how I got here? eh? Well, you know, I actually missed the pot. Why don't we backtrack? And, bloop, and then. We saw we see a part of the movie we didn't see. Or meanwhile, in another part of Gotham City, and then, but then it'll show you something else. And once or twice is fine. It does it like four or five or six times. And it just gets a little tiresome after a while. After a while, I kind of just want to say, okay, stop it. Show me stuff in a linear fashion. And I know that sounds, I'm not saying it's complicated to follow. It's not complicated to follow whatsoever. And I think it's, it's fine a couple of times. It Just after a certain amount of time, it just becomes a little tiresome. It just feels like they're they're stalling from telling the story, right? And it just, just get on with it, essentially, right? Because we know Harley pisses off the wrong people and they come after her. These other these other women, they piss off the wrong people, they get whatever happens to them, right? And then and then they finally all come together. Like I get it. And I get that's how the director wanted to tell the story. It just after a while, I just kinda like you kinda roll your eyes and All right, okay, I get it. Here's the five, fifth time they're doing it, right? But that's really the only real complaints. I would have and like I mentioned no Joker no Batman I think the movie is better for it Uh, it, it, I think it's really interesting because it almost makes Gotham itself seem like a different city than we're used to because a lot of the scenes not all of them certainly but a lot of the scenes in this movie are filmed during the day and it makes Gotham this sunny bright place very New York City esque. don't get me wrong that's probably where a lot of it was filmed but at the same time it just gives Gotham a different feel than you and I and all the different viewers who want to go see this movie are necessarily used to But I think ultimately Birds of Prey is everything Suicide Squad wanted to be. It takes a bunch of disparate kind of loner characters, slams them all together, and then they're kind of forced to go on this journey, whether it's a journey for self-discovery or a journey to actually accomplish something or whatever. It could be both could be even more things, and I think it is in the end. It's it's definitely a movie that seems to be greater than the sum of its parts, to use a a cliche, but uh, it's definitely a fun watch. And I would, if you're a, especially if you're a comic book movie fan, I would wholeheartedly endorse you seeing this film. Before we move on to the next film on the docket of the uh, Showtime movie podcast, I just want to really quickly apologize to you, the listener, for having to be subjected to my Harley Quinn impression. It was bad. I'm not sure how bad it was compared to the uh, Hugh Grant impression from the Gentleman Review, but it was probably worse. If I had to guess, my girlfriend tells me I am bad at impressions, and I know I am. I know that's I know that's a true fact. Let's say uh, I can only promise going forward that I will not do another Harley Quinn impression. I re-listened to it. It was. Ooh is bad so no more no more impressions at the very least of uh, margot robbie's uh, harley quinn uh the next movie on the docket like i mentioned is sonic the hedgehog which of course is the latest video game adaptation and i i i gotta tell you another movie similar to birds of prey i saw the trail and i thought to myself god this looks bad and again i'm pleasantly surprised to say that it wasn't that bad so Without further ado, Sonic the Hedgehog. I like the way you smile at me. I felt the heat that enveloped me. That song you're hearing right and now, I, saw, I would I say like is from see. one of the you know what? No. It's from the best part of Sonic the Hedgehog. I was gonna I was gonna kind of qualify it and say, oh yeah, this part was pretty good. Ultimately, I think the part of the movie that this is from and it has specifically to do with Jim Carrey, is easily, bar none, the best part of this entire film. It had the audience in stitches. It was funny. It was kind of out of left field. I don't know how how much mileage you can get in terms of rewatching this scene. And really I think that's a sentiment that goes towards this entire movie because Sonic the Hedgehog, which of course stars Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik, James Marsden as a police officer, and I'm not even sure what his name was, not that I think it's really important, but James Marsden is the other main human character, and Ben Schwartz is the voice of Sonic himself, of Ben Schwartz. You might remember Ben Schwartz actually from Parks and Rec. He was John Ralphio, if you, if you remember that. But anyways, um, that those are the three main characters, essentially, right, those three guys, but I feel like the one thing to say about Song of the Hedgehog, because there isn't really a ton to say about this film, I admit, because, and and here's why. It's because when you think of other animated movies or movies like this, like, let's say, let's look at Shrek, for example, right? Shrek was made, I know that's an older movie at this point, now that we're in 2020, which is crazy to say. I remember that movie like it was yesterday, and I'm sure many of you do as well, but... Shrek makes a lot of jokes that are not just for kids and like fart jokes and like silly snot jokes and snot candles and blah, blah, blah. But it makes jokes that are for adults as well. Right. It makes jokes that adults can laugh at and kids can giggle at. And I think that was the kind of Disney model for a long time And when it comes to animation in terms of. You know, even going back to The Little Mermaid in 1989 and that whole Disney Renaissance era, all the movies were made not just for children, but for families, right? I would say that Sonic the Hedgehog now is not a movie necessarily for families. I would say that it's a movie for children. And the distinction being, there's maybe a handful, maybe I can count on one hand, and it might be even less than that in terms of jokes that adults would get. Right Or jokes that would make adults chuckle. And like there's a line, for example, where James Marsden meets Jim Carrey for the first time and he has some line about parents and Jim Carrey says something like, oh, why don't you rub that in my orphan face? Like that got a laugh out of me. and I don't know how much kids would necessarily laugh at that because I don't know how much they're getting that. But those kind of jokes are few and far in between. Ultimately, this is a child's movie, right, where Sonic runs into the ocean, runs back and says, "Oh, I don't know how to get to San Francisco." Huh, but I just ran the entire length. And he's like, there's a dead fish on his head and it's flopp- or a, or, a, or a live fish but out of water and it's flopping around on its head. Yes, I promise I know the difference between something that's alive and something that's dead. I, I promise. <laughs> um but uh yes, that it's just those kind of very simple jokes, right? And those are things, that, wh- those are reasons why I would say this is a film for kids and not for adults. And now that makes it sound like I'm knocking it. It's not. It's not a knock, certainly. This movie is really good because. It knows exactly what it is. It knows exactly the audience it is appealing to, i.e., children and hardcore fans of Sonic the Hedgehog. Like we start in the green zone, for example, if you've ever played the game, and at the end you kind of end in the mushroom zone in the kind of quote unquote after credit scene. Mid-credit scene, let's say. It, it looks like it was supposed to be an after credit scene. And I think they just ended up tacking it on to the end of the movie, probably because they know kids are not gonna stay and wait through the credits. There is no after credit scene, by the way. Mid credit scene there is, but after credit scene there is not. Uh but Yeah, I just, it's just not a knock on it for it to be just a children's movie. It's just, like I said, it knows exactly what it is. Now, the performances, Ben Schwartz is great as the titular Sonic. He sounds like a kind of, he's a great voice actor. If you ever heard Ben Schwartz's voice, it's definitely kind of an, almost an octave higher as Sonic, or maybe half an octave higher, it feels like. He's definitely up-talking a lot, right? There you go. But I, and he does it really well. Uh, it's just Sonic like you would imagine is just constantly making cracks and jokes. And it's a mile a minute. And if a joke doesn't stick, it just moves on. And again, that's fine because that's kind of Sonic's whole thing. He moves at almost light speed, right? And, I feel like as well, the movie kind of would, would always have lived and died by the performance of, and the look of Sonic, especially after they did the whole redesign. And I think ultimately the redesign works really well. It would have looked really strange with that initial one with the teeth and the, the pointy nose and the hands being all strange. Ultimately, they redesigned him to look like the video game character and it's all the better for it. Uh, By no means do I think that people should now, quote-unquote, listen to gamers. That is a terrible idea, and that should never happen ever again in a million zillion years, because as a whole, I'm not saying gamers individually are bad, but as a whole, gamers have not shown, (laughs) to me at least, and I say this as someone who would count himself as a gamer, gamers have not shown themselves necessarily to be uh, the uh, arbiters of good taste and judgment, let's just say, uh, to put it lightly, to put it mildly. Uh, But ultimately, in this case, the developers of the movie, the filmmakers, made uh, a good decision in changing the appearance. But apart from all the Sonic stuff, apart from all the Ben Schwartz stuff, this movie was always going to live and die by the performances of the human characters, right? Of course, James Marsden and Jim Carrey. Now, James Marsden is fine. The guy is, has, has always been great since his days as Cyclops and, and Enchanted and all that stuff. He Westworld as Teddy. I mean, he's a very versatile actor, and I, and I think he was he was serviceable as the again the straight man the, the the character through whom you the audience see all these things as wild because of course to sonic it's just his life but to this human who doesn't expect hedgehogs to be giant and move at this speed of light and to be talking and stuff like that you know you experience things through him so that's why he's not exactly a special character it's just because he is the barometer character if that makes sense uh but the character of course of course who stands out is jim carrey I mentioned that moment off the top of the review. Jim Carrey is just, I can't say enough about him. I've always loved him. He's always been great. Probably one of my all-time favorite actors. And he was, to me, the draw of this movie. Now, it wasn't because I was watching a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. It wasn't James Marsden, certainly. It wasn't anything to do with video games. It was the fact that Jim Carrey was going to play the uh, relatively well-known Dr. Robotnik character, And uh, by the end of the movie, he gets to kind of look like the Robotnik we all know and love from the video games with the wacky mustache and the goggles and stuff like that. But for the the most of the movie, he's very well-groomed, very well-put-together, waxed mustache and all this stuff. And it makes sense how he gets to it at the end, but he just is menacing and funny and wacky. It almost is like we we get to see the culmination of all of those Ace Ventura, liar, liar stuff from all, all, all the various years ago in the nineties and whatnot, because this is kind of a role in that same vein. He is just so spontaneously wild and it's a, it's a joy to watch. And he is by himself worth the price of admission. That's the, that's the highest praise I could ever give to a single performance. It was the same with Lockheed Phoenix and Joker. Like you're going to see the movie for a very specific reason is what I mean. And for Sonic, while you may be taken in and maybe intrigued by the idea of sonic himself and the video games and the adaptations and stuff like that in the end you are going to stay because of jim carrey and he is just so fantastic And i don't want to say any more than that because even i know we talk about spoilers in this podcast sometimes he is just so good it would be a shame to ruin that so apart from that one orphan moment there's so many other really good moments and i think uh if you're going to this movie and you're anywhere near my age as well, you're going to love it and kids will love it as well. It's a it's a perfect movie for children and for uh, kids in adults' bodies like probably you and I. As always, we have saved the best for last and it's just, I can't believe years, this many years later, we're watching Bad Boys 3, which of course is titled Bad Boys for Life and... We're at the point where it's good. It's great. It's one of the best movies of 2020 so far. It's wild to say any of those statements and have them essentially all be true. So let's get into discussing the latest edition of the Bad Boys movie franchise. Like I said, Bad Boys for Life. If you had told me six months ago, okay, that would put us, what, uh, October, November, thereabouts, let's say thereabouts, okay, in the fall, if you had told me back then that I would get more emotional satisfaction, or just satisfaction in general, really, which is crazy to say, out of Bad Boys for Life than I would have gotten out of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, the final main Star Wars saga Skywalker movie. I would have called you insane. I would, have, I would just have slapped you across the mouth. How dare you, sir? That is just sacrilege. Because how many, how many times ever when a movie, a sequel to a relatively beloved franchise comes out and is good? Like, how often does that happen? Like, look at Anchorman versus Anchorman 2. Look at Zoolander versus Zoolander 2. Look at Dumb and Dumber versus Dumb and Dumber 2, right? All those movies had those sequels come out within, what, I guess the last couple of years? And to all of them, they were all garbage. They were all really bad. And I feel like it's even usually more the case when it comes to action movies because action movies are so mindless sometimes and so dumb You know, I just, I didn't really think or really have any faith, I admit, that Bad Boys for Life was going to be good. I was going to go see it regardless. There was no question that I was going to go see this movie because I'm an action movie junkie and it's Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. Who doesn't want to see them do whatever it is they're going to do, blow stuff up one more time? Like, don't get me wrong, right? Everyone was going to go see that probably. But if it was bad, I would have bet the house on (laughs) Bad Boys for Life having one of the biggest opening weekend to second weekend drops ever, right? Because of that's just how the cookie crumbles it seems. And Will Smith again with Gemini Man. We talked about it on the podcast, but it wasn't great to the point where it it also was kind of a flop, right? And then Bad Boys for Life actually comes out and it was a surprisingly fun, heartfelt, sincere, more than anything else tale of these two cops at the end of their careers. And I think the way the movie ends, it of course is left open for more movies that they, that's how they want to go, which is, which based on the box office performance of this movie is very likely Uh, And also the critical reception, pretty decent as well, all things considered, was not directed by Michael Bay. But Michael Bay does make uh, a cameo in the movie, including one of the famous Michael Bay shots, kind of tracking shots. And maybe tracking is the wrong word, but the shot that kind of focuses on him from one end, moves around him as he moves. And the one that he's very famous for using in Transformers and even in Bad Boys itself, right? But uh, fun to see him in the movie as well. But of course the movie was directed by Bilal Fala and Adil El Arbi. So the two new additions to action movies, two new additions to the uh bad boys canon let's say but they do an absolutely fantastic job although i mentioned perhaps a sequel is coming it feels like they perhaps missed an opportunity to name this one just call it bad boys 3 and then name the next one bad boys for life although i suppose now like bad boys for life i mean although it definitely seems that if i'm speculating the fourth one will just be called bad boys forever maybe perhaps who who knows right but I mentioned the movie is heartfelt, it's sincere, it's fun, and of course that all starts with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. First of all, you believe that these guys like each other, you believe that they are friends, you believe that they have a partnership that extends the the majority of their working lives, and... I think that comes from simply Will Smith and Martin Lawrence being friends and all of those things in real life as well, uh, which is really fun to see. And, of course, maybe it's all an act for social media and whatnot. If that's the case, I'd be really sad. But it definitely seems like through their long partnership, through knowing each other for such a long time, that they have actually achieved a level of friendship that some people just don't. And uh, ultimately, it's pretty cool to see. And it comes through in their characters, of course, Mark. Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett. I almost said Marcus Lowry. No, Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett. And uh, Mike and Marcus are two, you know, burnt out, maybe not burnt out, but just two veteran cops who still dealing with the day-to-day life of crime in the city of Miami down in Florida. And of course, this film deals with a variety of things, including crazy action and hot women and relationships and sex and all that stuff. But I think the issue that it deals with more than anything else is the trauma that comes with almost losing somebody. PTSD to an extent, and just the consequences of a lifetime of killing people in the name of the law and general violence that they just incur at at every seemingly every corner, right? And of course, it's implied that they get up to a whole host of other stuff off camera in between, let's say, Bad Boys 1 and 2, or of course, Bad Boys 2 and 3. And it's for that reason why the movie is so heartfelt because it's it's a very tender look at all of those things at these the, the relationship that these two men have with one another that they have with their captain Joe Pantoliano who of course makes his return as the uh the crazy ir- irascible captain and uh, he's just so much fun to watch when he's yelling at them that he's swinging from a bottle of Pepto-Bismol it's just that's kind of thing that you you it's a running gag in the series and it's just fun when it comes up again so it's just all of those things make an appearance, and they add some new characters as well, uh, including Vanessa Hudgens. I didn't actually realize that was her until about halfway through the movie, and I'm like, man, this woman looks familiar. I'm like, holy crap, that's Vanessa Hudgens. So it's kind of cool that she gets to be involved as well, and she's great. Uh, lots of other characters as well. I would say Vanessa Hudgens is the most famous one uh, in terms of the new additions, but they add some kind of new, young characters, uh, and it's funny because Will Smith refers to them as a kind of high school musical, and of course, referring to Vanessa Hudgens, but uh, a new, but bunch of new new high tech cops and it's the old school versus the new school and the low tech versus the high tech and all this stuff. But I would say if you've ever been a fan of the bad boys movies, if you've ever been a fan of action movies uh, and if you want a little more, Uh, let's say, introspection into your films, then I would say Bad Boys for Life is for you because I'm, I'm trying to do a quick Coles Notes version of this movie without kind of describing every little set piece that goes on because that would just be kind of spoiling it. And plus, it's tough to do that in a podcast. This movie is very visually appealing whether it 's from all the outfits the two guys wear, their colorful suits, the dresses the women wear, all the 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 beautifully staged gunfights and car chases the just the awesome looking cars in general it 's just all very appealing, all very uh, what you 'd expect out of a bad boy 's movie, but done with a lighter touch than perhaps your regular Michael Bay flick, which I think is makes it so it makes it so refreshing it 's also a look on fatherhood and growing older, and all these things and I find that It's just something that wasn't there in the first couple of Bad Boys movies necessarily. And I think Bad Boys for Life is all the better for it but of course like i said it all starts with will smith and martin lawrence and the two of those guys cracking jokes with one another very r-rated there's a scene on a plane or they're just making jokes at each other's expense and the audience is just rolling with laughter they undercut some dramatic moments with some jokes as well as to cut the tension i've complained about that in other movies as well like in uh, guardians of the galaxy 2 I complain that they undercut every moment. For example, with jokes and they don't let anything breathe. Bad Boys for Life does actually let a couple of things breathe, but when it gets to be a little too ridiculous, a little too much, and you think to yourself, "Holy smokes, this is not what I signed up for." One of them cracks a joke, and you can't just—you feel like you're in on the joke, and that's, I think, one of the movie's greatest talents is it makes you feel like you're a part of it, which is absolutely wonderful. So like I said, if you've liked any of those things at any point, Bad Boys for Life, absolutely, absolutely is one for you. And uh, as for me, I'm probably, I don't say this very often, but I'm probably gonna get this movie when it comes out on Blu-ray. That's how much I liked it. That's it for this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast. We kind of ran the gamut of some movies that have come out since the beginning of the year. uh, Movies that kind of fell into the cracks between the Oscars going on and, of course, all of the COVID-19 stuff now that we can't really go to the theaters anymore. Theaters are not closed, by the way. Uh, I believe Cineplex here in Canada has now announced a... uh, they're reducing capacity by a minimum of 50% as to encourage social distancing whilst going to see movies. I myself, I'm not necessarily a germaphobe, but I'm being very cautious with all the washing of hands and just being around people who may or may not have the disease. So I think, like I mentioned off the top of the show... I think I might avoid going to the movie theaters uh, for a while, but we still, be, we still will be covering movies on the Showtime Movie Podcast, just in a different way. I'm not sure what's coming up next. There are some movies I haven't gotten to yet on the podcast that I think we will get to over the next couple of weeks. But as we get further into the summer months and other movies like Mulan, like No Time to Die, uh, like Fast Nine continue to get postponed, as I'm sure they will. Uh, I'm sure we'll figure out some new ways to keep you guys informed and entertained when it comes to movies. I'm really intrigued, and maybe as a little bit of a teaser, I'm really intrigued in having the Marvel versus DC debate because I had this discussion with one of my friends uh, and his girlfriend, and uh, I take the side of Corinne in this one because uh, she thinks that Marvel movies—not that they're necessarily superior, but that they're the same—and my friend, our June, Corinne's boyfriend, she seems to think that or he seems to think that uh, DC movies are better than Marvel movies and God love you Arjun, but that's not the case. They're the same. No one will ever be able to tell me any different. So I, th- I was thinking of having that discussion. Maybe we'll have some guests on to discuss that. You know, there's a lot, a lots of other things we could talk about. Uh, I've always wanted to revisit, the best action movies of the last 10 to 15 years something we did maybe movies that came out before the podcast itself oh i started it of course which started with wonder woman which is crazy to say now that wonder woman 2 or wonder woman 84 as it's called is coming out soon uh so just a lot, lot of options for us as we'll uh, continue to tackle movies everyone's favorite things about movies going forward uh not just new releases of course but we'll do everything we can to keep you guys entertained in this time but as always thank you so much for listening to the showtime movie podcast i'm your host as always show Uh, don't forget to like subscribe leave some comments on itunes or wherever it is that you get your podcast always very much appreciated and until next time have a great night